Nathan Kabwala, and this is day one from the Miller Entrepreneurship Center at William & Mary. Thank you for joining us for our podcast, where we give you a glimpse into the day in the life of some alumni founders doing incredible work and living meaningful, connected lives. Hey there, day one listeners. I hope you all have been well and taking care of yourselves. Thank you so much for tuning in to our latest episode. Today, we're talking with Robbie Dietrich. They are a computer game design professor at George Mason and the founder of Skyboy Games. This episode I find especially powerful for anyone out there with a side hustle, which I know may be quite a few of you, and anyone who has generally juggled their entrepreneurial dreams with life as a student, working another job, supporting family, just the things that life throws at us. So before we dive into it, let me tell you a little more about Robbie. Robbie Dietrich has a Bachelor's of Science in Computer Science from, you guessed it, William & Mary, and a Master's in Computer Game Design from George Mason University. They are a 10-year veteran of the games industry, with the majority of their career being at Innis Corporation in Tokyo, Japan. They are an expert game programmer with experience in PCs, consoles, and mobile devices, and are fluent in Japanese. Games they have worked on include Jita Ruman Lives, Elite Beat Agents, Lips, The Black Eyed Peas Experience, Infinity Blade Cross, Eden to Green, Uki Blocks, Robot Legions Reborn, and Koo. They are also the founder of Skyboy Games, a game development company with the dual mission of making the world a better place through charitable giving. Really excited to get into it with Robbie today, and I hope you all enjoy our conversation. All right, Robbie, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. It's a joy to have you here. And the first question we always like to ask our guests is, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, the classic question. Okay, so so this one was was kind of fun because uh, for a while I for a while I didn't have an answer for that until I sort of looked back, uh, kind of remembered some things from my childhood, and I realized that uh, I had actually managed to kind of live my dream uh, job where I'd always wanted to actually make video games since I was a little kid. I'm a, I'm a kid who grew up in that, uh, that early Nintendo generation with the Nintendo Entertainment System. And uh, I also, back in the day, you know, I had a subscription to Nintendo Power. And that magazine had, at some point, they had this sort of this game development contest. And I remember seeing the results for that. And that kind of lit a fire in my little... Uh, gosh, it was probably like eight-year-old brain at that point. And I started to like draw like versions of like, here's what my game would be, which was always pretty much like a version of whatever game I had to be, happened to be playing only with like my terrible drawings on it. But that kind of started there and that sort of set the seed. The funny thing is I forgot about that for like the longest time until later in high school. And I kind of remembered it again and thought like, well, yeah, that's cool. Not a realistic goal, but somehow over few things which we can get into later if that comes up in a question I did manage to find a job in the games industry and that set the stage for a lot of who I am we haven't had somebody I think on the podcast who has actually turned out to be what they thought they would be um at that young age so I appreciate that answer um yeah so after that we'll come back to that later um but for now, um, as per our theme, I would love for you to take us through 
a day in your life, realizing that, you know, it looks a little different because of COVID, but, you know, anything that you want to add in there, morning routines or, you know, things that you do to relax, whatever is meaningful and applicable to you and that you'd like to share with our listeners. Sure thing. So, uh, so my, the defining roles of my life are that I work at George Mason University teaching computer game design. And I also do sort of game development on, on the side because if I didn't continue making games, I think I might go just a little bit mad. And so those are kind of the, the defining professional pillars of what I do. Now, how that relates to my days nowadays, because I'm working from home entirely online, I will usually start off you know, the day doing some part of my morning, morning routine, usually walk the dog, get exercise, uh, make sure the, the kid is started in on his online classes, that sort of thing. And then I'll move into you know, do, teaching my online classes and between online classes, I'll be doing, of course, you know, lots of grading, uh, doing research on a few other subjects, uh, occasionally just putting too much on my plate because I have other ideas for courses that I want to do. So I end up writing proposals or I reach out to other people say, hey, what if we did this thing? And they say like, that sounds like a great idea. Why don't you spearhead that? And I say like, oh gosh, I did it to myself again. But oh, well, I do like this. So I kind of like my daytime hours are fil filled up with a lot of that. And usually in the evenings, I try to steal usually an hour or two before bed to do some game development work uh, where I get to get my hand. You know, I'm often teaching it from a sort of a theoretical basis. I do do a lot to teach my students to get them, you know, hands on and applied in their game development, but then also I like to keep my own nails sharp, so so to speak. So I'm always working on some sort of uh, sort of smaller scale game development project that I can do with myself or a small group of people. And so that's kind of how I run my day for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, so many things, <laughs> the relatable point of, you know, you have these ideas and then people are like, spirit them yourself and do yourself, which um, I can certainly relate to. The podcast definitely started that way. Um, so, but, you know, I think it's been a good thing. So I feel like that also gives you a lot of space to explore your ideas and, and you know, just think them out in a more structured way. Um, I'm wondering, so, and you touched on this as well in your answer, you know, you've described your, your venture Skyboy Games as more of a side hustle for you. Um, and so I'm wondering, and you said, you know, you work on game development in the evenings. Um, you know, often we're, we don't have time to be full-time entrepreneurs um, or full-time innovators. So how do you, how have you made time for Skyboy in the past? And how has that changed during COVID? Um, you know, just with life happening um, and all those things. So I would say that for the entire history of Skyboy games as it's existed as an entity and before that even just as a habitual way of running my life is uh, it's something that is used to existing within like the within like the little open spaces of, of my daily schedule. So what do I mean by that? So to paint a picture here, when I was working directly in the games industry, uh, I was working in Japan and working as a game programmer and 
the stereotypes of working really hard in Japan all the time, of overworking in Japan and overworking in the games industry, for my case, both of those applied pretty well. Like I was working constantly. And the funny thing about that is, and this is how I know that, you know, games as a game development as a way of life, which is different from game playing, uh, was sort of core to me was that even though I spent all my time working and thinking games in my professional life, when I'd get home, I'd still have the itch. I'd still want to like, I still want to work on some, on more, I wanted to do more game development. I wanted to do more, some, some other different things. And so I always had some sort of form of side project, side hustle going on. And I often turned it into a side hustle because for me, being able to try to prove out what I'm putting together in some sort of market is, it's rewarding and justifying in a lot of ways. Otherwise, you know, I'm just producing it in a little space and it goes nowhere. At least I put it out someplace and I see whatever reaction I can garner. And so based on that, I, since the beginning, I've had to be very creative with how I use my time in order to do so. Uh, when I was working sort of these full long days in the Japanese games industry, the standard day was about 12 hours and it would, it could go longer beyond that. We, that was especially because when I first entered that company, it was like 13 people or something. So we were like super scrappy, just trying to survive in the, in the larger industry. And as they grew as a company, we became sort of more mature and better managed about our hours. But a lot of us who were there early, we still had the, the habitual working habits of the scrappy startup. So we kept that going on. So in order to find the time to work on my own stuff, I had to sort of carve out little bits of time here and there. The easy, obvious one is to burn the candle at both ends and say like, all right, I'm gonna lose a couple hours of sleep every night, especially in your twenties and early thirties, that works just fine. Uh, the other technique I often used was I would actually specifically structure parts of my day to allow some extra development time. So I had uh, a laptop that I was always using for doing game development and I would specifically structure my commute. So I would go on the bus at a certain time when I knew that I had a very high chance of being able to sit down on the bus. So I knew that, oh, if I can sit down for 20 minutes, I can do about this much work. So in the previous night, I would usually plan out a series of tasks, kind of order them based on sort of size and granularity. And then I would figure out what task I'm going to, going to do on the bus the next day. And I would set up, I would open up all the relevant programs, the relevant file, I'd go to the exact part of the code or open up the graphics that I was going to be working on for that task. And I would have it ready. So the moment I could sit down on the bus, boom, immediately laptops open and I'm doing the thing. And I know like I've already sort of, I've been thinking about it before I got there. So I, I know what I was planning to do so I can make a direct sort of implementation of putting it all together and then it gets in and doing that over the course of months, strangely enough, in those little stolen moments of time, I actually could complete things. I could create, uh, you know, the small sort of arcade games that, that I could release on Xbox Live indie games at the time or later. Uh, that's how I'd end up doing a lot of stuff that, that I, I would later release on Steam, for example. Yeah, that is super, that's super resonating. I'm just thinking of all the times that I would commute um, and I would be on that same bus and just fall asleep <laughs> instead of doing actual things. 
<laughs> tangible work. Um, but that is amazing. Um, I'm wondering, like, how that fits in with creativity and do you find that a lot of the work that you do in those stolen moments is just generative creative some ideas that you have for games or things like that or is it more administrative like reaching out to different contacts you know connecting with other people um, and what kind of form that stolen moment work takes yeah so for me the stolen moment work was almost always focused on the the creative aspect and that's because of the nature of how I've used Skyboy games for myself. Uh, it, I have to say, like, it's mostly a business in, it's more business in name than intention and action. And by that, what I mean is, I think in a healthy business, if I were running this like a healthy business, I would be, I'd be apportioning my time more equally between the, the creative product creation and the hustle, the hustle where I need to, you know, make contract, make, uh, make contracts, find contacts, other way around, also works, uh, do all that sort of business administrative stuff, uh, all, especially like the, the, the reach out to, to contacts, the, the actual sort of business building networking part of that, uh, the marketing piece as well. If I were running it more like a business that I plan to have be really sort of traditionally successful, that's where I'd put more of the time. But what I've been using Skyboy games for for myself, I think is a lot of a sort of therapeutic creative release where through the, uh, whenever I would have sort of a lot of what drove the, the projects that I would choose for Skyboy games, they're often driven by the itch of a question of something I couldn't, uh, that I couldn't address in work. I'd be working on something and think like, hmm, there's gotta be a different way. And so a lot of the times the, the Skyboy project would grow out of this idea of like, hmm, this seems like a different way to do it. I'm gonna see how that works too. And I would try that. And what's also kind of interesting here, you did mention administration. There's a certain part of administration that I do do a fair bit with Skyboy Games is that uh, a lot of the financial tracking and whatnot, that also, strangely enough, also scratches a certain weirdly creative itch for me as well. So, so that part actually gets done pretty well. I'm dealing with small numbers. So, you know, the risk of mistakes is relatively low, but that's always been a really nice vehicle for the study of, Hmm, how should my taxes work? Or how should I try to account for uh, these profits or the, these other, uh, these expensive, these profits? What, what is, how do I calculate the return on investment of a project like this? And so a lot of those little CFO kind of pieces are also sort of fun. Like this is sort of my natural introvert kind of taking over and saying like, hey, just make a thing, do some math. Yeah, you'll enjoy that. Uh, but that, again, that's because of sort of the very self-serving way I, I, use, I use my side hustle. Hi there. You are listening to Day One from the Miller Entrepreneurship Center at William & Mary. If you love Day One, you'll love Alumni Founder Series, a virtual event from the Miller Entrepreneurship Center where you can learn about an alum's journey from the bricks of William & Mary to launching their own venture. To learn more and mark your Google calendars for the next AFS, find us on Instagram or at millerec.com.
I also noticed in my research when I was looking at Skyboy games that there's a charitable aspect um, um, to Skyboy. And so as much as you're using it for your own therapeutic purposes and to express new creative ideas that you might be having, um, could you talk to us also about how that bends the other way and um, how you try to try to give back through Skyboy as well? Yeah, so one of the, the concepts I did have for, for Skyboy, and I think this was, this is, this is also sort of emblematic of me using Skyboy as a way to sort of scratch my sort of creative or emotional itches where I wanted to, I wanted to build into the structure of what I was doing, uh, the sort of this tradition of charity or sort of a culture of charity. And to me, because I was thinking in terms of like, well, how do I structure my projects or how do I structure the, the payment, the payment split on projects, especially with stuff where I'm collaborating with other people, where we'll say, uh, like, I'll, I'll handle the putting this, I'll handle the placing of this game on the market, I'll take in that money, this portion goes into royalties, this portion does that. And I said, and when I was thinking about that, I said, well, you know, I like the idea of basically establishing a rule for the projects where we say like, hey, you know what, here's an easy baseline rule, 10% goes to charity. And I would talk with uh, my collaborators and say like, okay, you know what, I want 10% of this to go to charity. Uh, I think I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to do American Red Cross because I like that. Uh, what do you want? want to do. And so they would say like, oh yeah, I like Red Cross. Uh, what One of my collaborators, he's he's a big cat person. So he was like, hey, can you find me a charity about, charity is cat related. I'm okay, you know, that makes sense. I did some searching around, found some that seemed reputable. Like, oh, here we go, Alley Cat Allies. That looks really good. What do you think? He's like, yeah, I like that. And so like a portion of his royalty goes, goes to them. Now, I wish I could say we're making a great benefit to charity here, uh, but we're dealing with really small numbers, unfortunately. Like, hey, buy my games. You can help out charity a bit. Uh, I mean, if you really want to help them out, just send them money. Uh, but if you want to help me and them, that's that's nice. But that's something that was, it's not really business driven. That was very much emotionally, emotionally driven. Is it a wise business choice? I, I weirdly enough don't, care that much uh, you know, on that aspect. These are sort of low, it's a low stake piece, but it's an expression of my own feeling, beliefs, personality that's coming out there. That's, you know, and I haven't really thought about it this way before, but yeah, that's what the Skyboy Games thing is. It's, it's an expression of my own self in a lot of ways. Robbie, you got it. That's the point of the podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but it is the point of the podcast. Um, is which is why I'm so excited to have you on because you just perfectly exemplify you know how you know a founder's personal values and their own experiences and things like that really translate themselves into a business and yeah it's not part of traditional business you know if you go to a business school it's not like oh build a charitable giving facet into your business or especially in the way that you do it through each of your you know team's individual interests and what they're really interested in in giving back to so that is such a special expression I think of who you are and that's really what we hope to explore on day one so um thank you for that and in closing um although I regret to close but um I think this is the perfect way to cap it off is you know we started by talking about what you wanted to be and what you have become um but also if you could go back to that kid um what would you tell them um what would you tell your younger self 
Ooh, what to tell my younger self? Ooh, that's always a tough one. Um, study more math. It's not as scary as people want to make it look. Uh, the, the way we teach math in the States, I think, makes it a little bit uh, more intimidating than it really should be. Uh, but that's, you know, that, that's the, the easy, easy answer there. Uh, the, I think the more important or salient one, and this goes to uh, sort of a, a bit of what I feel like is an important part of my backstory, which is when I was, uh, you know, when I was eight, I saw that game design contest in Nintendo Power that got me thinking about making games. And then I kind of forgot about it because it didn't seem very realistic. It didn't seem like a realistic thing that we could do. I grew up, uh, I grew up in a few different countries because my father worked for the for the Foreign Service, so we moved to a different country every three years. And when we weren't living in, say, El Salvador, Mexico, we were living in Washington or near Washington D.C. We're living in Arlington, Virginia, and so that's a world that for which the, the world of game creation and game design seemed totally separate. Like I had no connections to the industry or, or anything. So that always felt like something that would, would be like an unrealistic dream. That's, that's a pipe dream. And so I kind of put it away. And later in high school, I saw an article in a magazine about jobs in the games industry. And that was really fascinating. I got super excited about that, reading through that. Weirdly enough, I looked at the job listings and thought like, oh, programmer, that sounds really hard. I could never do that. I'm not smart enough to do that. Uh, maybe producer instead. Uh, shows my biases. Uh, but that sort of, again, sort of brought the dream back, reawakened the dream. But also, again, I felt like it wasn't realistic. So again, I kind of put it away. And it wasn't until sort of after college that I had gone to gone on to the, the JET program. I studied Japanese for four years in college and I went on the JET program to teach English there. And then later came back to the States, started working as a, as a contractor, uh, you know, as a programming contractor at, at a Beltway Bandit. And I got bored with that uh, job. So at some point when some friends said, hey, why don't you come like build an arcade game with us? I said like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. I'll work for no money, literally no money. I worked for free to, to work on that because that was so exciting. Uh, but in the process of doing that, I happened, that project fell through for various reasons. But it, in the process of doing that, I ended up going to Japan to visit a friend and by some coincidence of some acquaintances I had made, I had the chance to meet up with the person who would become my boss for the next 10 years working in the games industry. And to me, I, I, would, I would look at you know, young, young me who dreamed of making games and if they could have made a choice would have said like, yeah, making games in Japan, that's the place to do it. I would actually have a really fun time just telling, telling little me like, yeah, uh, that's exactly what happens. Like what? How could that happen? You won't believe it. It won't make any sense. You won't be able to predict how that connection will happen. But you get in your future, you get to work in the games industry in Japan. Uh, and you also turn out to be pretty good at it too. So look forward, forward to that. And so a lot of opportunities that might feel 
impossible or unbelievable are closer than you really are closer than you might think. And if anything, this is what's motivated me to come back to Virginia and what's motivated me. It's part of my motivation to teach it, teach computer game design at George Mason University, because I'm looking at a lot of kids grew up, grew up in Virginia and there's not a strong game development community on this side of the United States, not in this area. A lot of our business is taken up by, you know, government contracting and whatnot. Uh, and so there's not a lot of game development happening here natively on the East Coast. There's even less of a connection to say that this game development happening in Japan. But I kind of want to be here to say like, hey, you know what? It's closer than you expect. A kid from Virginia uh, ended up working in Tokyo in, in the games industry. And ironically enough, uh, there when I first entered that company, there was like there was one other non-Japanese person working there, and they were also from from Virginia. They went to UVA, uh, you know. So <laughs> there was like totally, we were like close to the same age. That was really funny, uh, but the connections are there. They're just not not obvious, but it's closer than you think, uh, you know. When you when you're college, like uh, a plane ticket to Japan is huge money, but on the grand scale of things, it's not that big. Uh, learning a new language is hard, but it's not impossible. Learning to live in a new culture is tough, but it's the furthest thing from impossible. You know, the the more time you spend like living in some other country, the more you might discover like, hey, there's a lot that there are differences. There's a lot that's the same. In general, the same parts more than make up for the differences. The differences are usually not the important things. Like, oh, I don't get my favorite brand of toothpaste. Who cares? <laughs> Live in this other place. So that's a whole sort of wandering blather to say like, hey, there's opportunity. You'd be surprised how close your dreams can be sometimes. Thank you all so much for joining us for our conversation with Robbie. Um, I found so much meaning in his words. I love the way that he kind of illustrated for us that entrepreneurship isn't just, you know, startup incubators and all-consuming new ventures. It, it can be, and that's equally glorious, but entrepreneurship can also be found in those stolen moments, as Robbie so eloquently um, told us about in his own life. So I hope you found something from this episode, whether it be, you know, in between studying for midterms or, you know, working or whatever you're up to, you can fit in a few stolen moments for your own entrepreneurship because you deserve it and the world deserves it. With that being said, the password for today's episode um, is stolen moment. And that is no spaces, all lowercase letters. So the password is stolen moment. And if you want to give feedback, that would also be greatly appreciated. Please see the link in the show notes. I love feedback. I think it's made the podcast so much better, only in a matter of a couple of seasons. Um, so again, that password is stolen moment, and the feedback form will be linked in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in again. Stay well, and remember to make today day one.